Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. This one a little bit less of the gaming. Uh, it's about quantum computing. And actually, let me just start. I'm just going to read a snippet from the always reliable Wikipedia. Um, quantum computing is the use of quantum mechanical phenomena such as superposition and entanglement to perform computation. Computers that perform quantum computations are known as quantum computers. Quantum computers are believed to be able to solve certain computational problems, such as integer factorialization, which underlies RSA encryption, substantially faster than classical computers. The study of quantum computing is a subfield of quantum information science, just some general info. I don't actually know if that will help most people understand what we're about to talk about, but uh, let me, let, I'll, I'll let my guest introduce himself now. Hi, uh, yes, I, I'm, uh, the, I guess, the quantum uh, computing researcher that will be talking with uh, Tom's and try to introduce to you uh, quantum computing and the best of my ability. Uh, well, I'm, I'm finishing my master's right now and I will be starting my PhD in September. So mm-hmm. this is my background. Uh, I mostly work in uh, quant- uh, quantum machine learning. That was, yes, uh, it's a lot of buzzwords as uh, we, we You've got machine from. learning and quantum, right? Yeah, so you've yeah, got it's... two of the biggest ones. Again, like we said before we started, you're just missing blockchain and like, you know, maybe self-driving or something in there. Oh, big data, yes. Maybe yeah, fusion. It's... One of the experts, uh, Nathan Weeb, says about when you put machine learning and quantum together, you get hype and hype, but it's not hype plus hype. It's hype time hype. You have hype square. You know, if this, was, <laughs> if this was 2017, we could have made a, a cryptocurrency, right? And we could have just said, you're one of the lead developers, a quantum computing machine learning researcher. <laughs> and, you know, that right there would have probably yeah, gotten us into the top it, 10 shit coins. Exactly. But if you make a quantum uh, cryptocurrency, you have to call it the Wiesner, since he, he, he thought about quantum money a, a long time ago, a re, uh, researcher in the, the, in the 60s. And mm-hmm. is, is, is he is, dead is, now? Uh, I don't know. I don't oh, know. It doesn't matter. We would have just said he's still alive and working <laughs> with us on our website, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, a lot of his work came out and uh, eventually was dug up from his drawer under his desk, right? Because mm-hmm. it applies to quantum cryptography and a lot of the algorithms of quantum cryptography used the work he did a long time ago. You know, it's actually so interesting you bring that up. Like someone was working on this and then they found it in his desk. Like when I, and this was a few years ago, like I, like, you know, I had already been interested in like Bitcoin and stuff. And I thought I would start looking into the cryptography behind it. And I I found many of the principles, many of the algorithms used in Bitcoin were pioneered in the 1800s. And then you start reading some of the work of cryptographers in the late 1800s and you realize, dude, these guys had like created uncrackable keys before there were even really computers. And like how old some of this science really is, how many scientists over the past 200 years had solved, you know, they had the laws of thermodynamics. They could conceive of what a computer would be able to do in the future. And so they had written entire textbooks about how to secure that data. 
and then never got to see anything done with their work really yet for like, it would be their grandchildren that finally utilized it. I find that so fascinating that finally it feels like we're using some of the stuff that we started figuring out a hundred years ago. Well, in science, we're really standing on the shoulder of, of giants. We're also mm-hmm. standing on the shoulder of science and on and on. But uh, we talked about RSA, but uh, the RSA, it's the, the initial for the, the people who discovered it, right? Uh, Rives, Shamir, and Adelman. And you just said RSA, which for those to be clear what you're talking about, you're talking about encryption. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, th- this algorithm was discovered four years before by uh, Clifford Cox, uh, who was working uh, with the, the British uh, Secret Service. And so it was classified. And he never, you know, uh, mm. his discovery was never known until the, the, the late 1990s. And, you know, I re- remember my, my advisor talked to me that there was a, when he received a prize, this person, pretty much he was talking about RSA without never credit, giving any credit to himself as during a talk after receiving one of his prize for his contribution in cryptography. Well, and and you wonder how much research too, especially stuff that has to do with anything that can relate to the military, we don't know about. And I and I don't mean that in a conspiratorial sense. Like I don't think any we don't <laughs> I don't think the CIA has any secret bases on Mars or something like that. But I'm sure there are small little discoveries that are out there that we don't know about or won't know that we had before. For many years, like like there's a lot of evidence, for example, that we had stealth technology so you don't show up on radars long before the stealth fighter jets came out from the United States, like 10 or 20 years in limited capacities. And they just, you know, didn't tell anyone. And like the Enigma machine that cracked um, the uh, Nazi, like, uh, what is it, code, like they just would straight up let some battles be lost by the allies so that they didn't know they had that. And there's some theories that the CIA or someone in government may have very, very limited quantum computers already, but that they don't use them because, because if they did, the cat's out of the bag and now everyone knows. Although actually, I don't think they do. I don't know. What, yeah. We're getting I, into wild speculation, but I am curious yeah, what you I, think about that I, stuff. I don't, I don't think they do have wild quantum computers, but they, they may have you know, some better algorithms hidden somewhere. Sure. Maybe they're not quantum or anything like that. But uh, but I think it's, even if they're, they're, they need to be small, those group, and if you're too much people, you have leaks. So the, the scientific community yes. with its many people, they're, they're, they're competing against them a lot. And in crypto, if you if you hide your algorithm, then it's not secure, right? The, the algorithm has to be published to, to have security proofs and attack being made. To be battle-tested, to be peer-reviewed, yeah, yeah, exactly. because if it's not peer-reviewed, it's not going to work. That's another... Yeah, actually, you touched on two things I want to I want to say, too, is when people peddle conspiracy theories and you're like, there's this one small smoking gun, well, you have to say, well, how much does this actually affect people? Is this actually not a big deal? Is this actually not something a lot of people care about? Because if it's not, well, then maybe, maybe it's a conspiracy. Like there, I believe there are a lot of tiny conspiracies out there, but when something's a really big deal, and especially when your conspiracy involves thousands of people working on it, guys, someone's going to go public. Like this idea that a thousand people stayed quiet for more than even a few years is, it, it's actually kind of ridiculous, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, after about what, 100 people, humans have a hard time, you know, keeping track of everything. So 
even with, with a thousand people and done with secret things, you, you really need to have everything contained, I think, if you want to maintain any sorts of secret at that point. But I don't know, well, that's, that may yeah. be uh, too, too, too much delving into conspiracy theories right now. <laughs> well, yeah, but so that is to say that quantum computing is not just this thing someone probably has already. It's very, very, very new, very unproven. And actually, let's start getting into the direct notes then. So Dominique Cock writes in and he says, hello, what made you want to study quantum computing? And what exactly are you researching right now? Well, uh, after in Quebec, we have something called CEGEP. It's uh, like last year of high school, first year of university. But mm-hmm. when I was finishing this, I went to, you know, a, a talk from my future, my eventual future university I went to that described, you know, quantum cryptography and, you know, purely explained and well, very well vulgarized to, well, about uh, maybe first year bachelor student with a more general education, right? That would be mm-hmm. the equivalent for the state. Uh, what was quantum computing? And, you know, it, it kind of sold me and I, I went to that university and eventually, you know, made my way to the quantum course. And what about guess, it sold you? Right. So you said you were already in computer science, right? And then yeah, yeah, well, you uh, had a presentation or, or took a class. And what made what about quantum computing made you say, oh, that's what I want to specialize in? Well, it was uh, at first it was I was attending because uh, machine learning became popular, so I wanted to do a bit of machine learning, mm-hmm. and then uh, I was like, for quantum computing, uh, the the idea of it, and because uh, somewhere in the way, without going to too much detail, the, the maths between ML and uh, quantum computing are quite similar. Both of them are based on linear algebra, but you know, matrix, vector, and things like that. But we can go mm-hmm. into much more details later if. Uh, if it fits their conversation, right? But so from quantum, it's uh, the, the thing you can do is pr- pretty much having uh, like um, uh, the, a secure, uh, a crypt- just secure cryptography, right? Which is based instead of you know, in general, it's mostly hypothesis, right? Most uh, we, we mostly do hypothesis on what we can compute efficiently to make to make mm-hmm. cryptography, right? Or and things like that, right? Hypothesis. But with quantum, you have you have security that's based on uh, quantum mechanics. So your hypothesis is stronger. If quantum mechanics needs to, uh, you know, work differently, you need to have a major discovery in physics. So it, it can be a bit more interesting, even if uh, a major discovery in computer science is also is 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 also interesting. But well, uh, yeah, it would change the understanding of physics if uh, you know that most quant- if quantum cryptography wasn't secure. Well, and one way I'd phrase it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying quantum cryptography is you're trying to secure something based on the laws of quantum mechanics, right? Instead of based on the laws of thermodynamics. Um, Well, Joe writes in and he says, well, I've heard that quantum computing is mainly capable of completing calculations specific to the parameters of a problem presented to the computer and is not suited to general computing tasks. Is this true? If so, will quantum computing ever be able to replace a general CPU? Well, for now, that's what it is true. But it could replace a general CPU because everything you do classically, we can do it in, in quantum, right? But it, it comes back to, to the idea that you just uh, take a general CPU and make it, you know, transform it into a, everything so it's reversible. And then you can uh, use a, a general CPU and make it quantum if you want. But 
this is really, really far away. You would need a really, really uh, large amount of qubits to be able to just uh, even simulate your basic uh, uh, current computer, right? But we're really, really not there. So for now, it's it's much, much to the benefit to, to let uh, qu qu quantum computers be considered a bit like a ASIC, FPGA, or GPUs, right? And yes. use them to solve specific tasks because we don't need it for, an, for something else, right? And I do plan to get into this much, much, much more heavily pretty soon. But the problem I have with, with with quantum is just the immense amount of effort required to even make it run at all, right? And that that would really be the one of the biggest limits to having a quantum computer in a as a personal computer, at least right within our lifetimes. I, I never w would speculate on what we're capable of doing as a human race in a thousand years. Who knows, right? <laughs> Who knows what we're able to do in a thousand years. But being able to, you know, cool something to zero degrees, <laughs> Kelvin, yeah. uh, isn't exactly a small feat. And I understand that there's theories about how we could solve that, but it's like, well... Okay, <laughs> but, but do for, it. For any application, you don't need to, to solve that, right? You don't need to have any, things run at 4K and, uh, you know, that... You just, mean 4 uh, Kelvin, too, when you yeah, say Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Not 4K I, gaming. I, I, I was trapped this way when I was visiting some uh, some lab and, you know, they were talking about the quantum acceleration. It was a uh, this run at 4K, this run at 4K. I'm like, but there's no display. What are they talking about? But yes, it's 4 <laughs> Kelvin. <laughs> yeah, for, but from a general perspective, yes. Uh, Right now, you can run things that, you know, uh, I will call them hot quantum computers, but then actually quantum computers, just as a position to call fusion. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this kind of gets me to one of my greater opinions that I keep start. I'm starting to have more and more, I find. Like, again, if I say if you were to talk to Tom five years ago, I would have been a bit more optimistic about all this futurism stuff. I would have said, yes, in 2020, we're all going to have self-driving cars foldable phones and you know at the, and then we'll maybe have fusion energy in 2025 and here I am and I'm like didn't Paris say they wanted to have their fusion thing up and running by 2021 or something I don't think they're going to where are these self-driving cars I don't see them you know they're out there to a certain degree but the idea that we're all going to have it and it's like you know we have a folding phone but do we really have folding phones <laughs> I don't know that we do <laughs> I mean, not in the, not at least with the ease of use and ruggedness but that you would want. You have, but. Basically, when you use Photon and maybe for, for crypto and for, for a random number generator, right now you can be, you don't have to be at one Kelvin if you want those kind of uh, application, right? You can use quantum randomness to have a real uh, random number generator, not a pseudo random, which suffers from the same uh, problems that uh, other crypto cryptographic algorithms have its uh, hypothesis on uh, computing what is efficient to compute, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, they're, they're currently being done, but what we want is we want to make them, uh, we want algorithms that are like device independent so that even if your device isn't really good or is maybe in some way it's uh, working against you, then you can even make use of it for, you know, quantum random number generator. And for photons, uh, it can be done right now. Uh, the, the Chinese were able to use photons to ch exchange uh, a quantum key, right? So for, mm. for encryption, and there are banks working in the, the British uh, British banks working on this that uh, were able to do it. Even U.S. banks are working on this. And right now, they're even trying to make it work underwater, right? There, Some students experimented with trying to uh, 
uh, send the send the uh, uh, photon polarized photon, which are qubits at that point, uh, mm. underwater in their own pool. So I guess I guess it's a it's, it's a good excuse to go swimming this summer. <laughs> well, again, though, it's like I mean, you're, you're, what it sounds like you're saying is there's a lot of things working in experiments right now, right? Well, for the optical part, it's a bit less of an experiment when you know you're you're able to exchange a key and have a video conference uh, using that key to, to secure it. You're talking about it's, it becomes in the it's experimental, but more on the engineering side, uh, I will say. So the the floor more on the engineering side and less on the you, you know on everything else, right? It's a question of getting sound engineering, making sure that the hardware is working properly and doesn't have flaw and eventually it can be manufactured at scale and can be deployed. So I'm a big optimistic on the cryptography side of things for quantum cryptography, which within the next 10 years, right? I think it, we will get some. Right. Work. So you think in the, in the realistic amount of time, we will have quantum keys and be able to crack non-quantum yeah, keys? No, we will have quantum keys, but we may not be able to crack quantum keys. It may okay. come... It, it right. may be that w w what it'll, it'll do is that uh, instead of basically you won't you may not be able to do end-to-end -end encryption, but the way to do it is basically you and the server will be able to exchange a quantum key, and then that server will exchange a quantum key with someone else, or that could be another server, and on and on and on, right? Instead well, that, of so using that's an interesting point. If I'm understanding you correctly, that you seem to be bringing up here, which is that well, we might not be close to even be able to crack. We might not be able to have the doomsday quantum computer soon that can crack all keys that we have right now that we already can use, right? We can already make keys that are quantum computing brute yes, force yes. proof right yeah, now. But the, the problem with that a bit is that uh, the, this replaced mostly uh, uh, the things that the quantum computers don't really break, like uh, SHA-256. It, it doesn't replace authentication and signature, which is public key encryption, which is RSA. So mm -hmm. we replace something that already compu quantum computers have a hard time enough, but uh, usually it's part of what cryptographer call defenses in depth is that basically I have a lot of different technologies so that each fails differently. It's all mm -hmm. uh, uh, DFI uh, from DFI element, which is uh, another crypto system based on factoring, a bit like RSC talked about in a conference recently. But basically you, you want to use uh, many different technology in crypto so that if one fails, then not your whole ecosystem is failing at that point. Well, yeah, and this is a bit unrelated, but this, you know, defense in depth, I mean, another way of putting it is just don't let there be one fail state, right? Like, okay. I mean, what did I read? It was like, literally, if you just have two-factor authentication with an account, you're, you have like almost a 0% chance of ever being hacked because they, now they not only do they need your password and your email address, but then they also need to have access to your phone at the time that they're trying to hack it. And just doing that also probably means they won't bother you because other people don't do that. So once they see you have two-factor authentication, they're like, it's not worth their time. Right. And that's why so much of protecting your data is just not <laughs> telling everyone what you're doing too, by the way. <laughs> like just if they have to guess, if there's doubt, well, doubt is so important. Like, like being able to steal from someone, most of it comes down to knowing exactly what they have to steal. Well, I mean, cryptography is basically, even quantum, it's not secure if you have somebody looking over your shoulder. So. Yeah, so Jake the Dude 23 writes in and he says, 
Could you explain what kind of use there is to quantum computing? From what I understand, they let you have something like 87 possible states instead of the binary on or off or yes or no answers you can get from a traditional computer. For example, an AI running on a quantum computer could have an opinion on a subject other than just giving a hard yes or no, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me quantum computing will allow us to simulate biological computers much more accurately. Um, otherwise, I'm not so sure. What really are the uses? Well, uh, I would correct one thing is that AI on classical computer can have an opinion. And in fact, they often yeah, do, which is uh, <laughs> a bit of their vulnerability. They, they run stochastic, so they like... When you have, say, when, when when it's running image classification for AI, sometimes it's it's going to tell you an image is like 50%, it has a 50%, 55% chance of being this image rather and 45% of being the other image. And you yeah, can, the AI you, you can tweak, you, you can tweak, yeah, yeah. You can tweak some things to make it so that just without changing much of the image, just changing some color value, shall we say, to make it believe the other way, right? It's a bit, uh, it's an old feeling in AIs right now about, uh, you know, adversarial example and the way you can, uh, I view it as basically a Rorschach test for AI, for AIs, right? You can basically uh, show them image and it, it doesn't, it, they, they believe something that is completely different right, right now. So, so what so would they, you they say, right? What, what would you see as the uses of quantum? Because we're talking a lot about securing encryption and cracking keys, but like, yes. what well, for quantum can you do with a quantum? Because like, if we have just, oh. let's say we have ah. a computer ten times better than what we have now. With that, I can already think of being able to do quite a lot. Like, it's starting to run into me running out of things to come up with that we can't do once we have a computer that powerful without quantum. But like, what will quantum actually allow us to do that we can't do, well, that we can't even fathom to do now? But simulation of biological system is one, right? Basically, when you do protein folding and everything, when you go at that low level, you, you, do, you do need to run, you run into quantum effects. So most mm -hmm. current systems, they, they partially simulate some quantum part and do classical. Uh, so yes, for, for protein simulation and quantum, basically what they call quantum chemistry, even right now, the, the current computers we have, are being used for this. They're not really used to for you know to, for great result, but they are being used because you know for experiments and we need to research and you know iteratively start developing new algorithm, new approach at the same time as the artwork gets better to have concrete and good results in this. So it sounds like you're saying quantum computing should be very very useful at simulating things. Yeah, yeah, but it's quantum simulation. It's the first application they, they, they talked about, about the physicists. It says we, need a, we are going to use quantum computers to simulate quantum system, whether it's hydrogen atoms or even mo molecules, protein molecules. It can be very well simulated with quantum computers, much more accurately and, and efficiently than you can do classically. Because it's, at Right, that point, and I think efficiently is the important thing, right? Because right now to simulate systems, we need like, I mean, an immense amount of graphics cards and processors to try to simulate something. And you're saying if we had one really powerful quantum computer, because it's that could run. It's right, it's exponential. So it's not yeah. a matter of just, oh, we need to fill up an entire football stadium with computer parts to run one simulation on a protein. Instead, the quantum computer is exponentially more efficient. So it's it, it might be another, better than several. In a several. lot of application, yes, especially in simulation. Not in all of it, but yes, it's exponentially more efficient in a lot of application, which is basically factoring 
and in this case, quantum simulation, which is when you tell me uh, I have 10 times as much computing power, I tell you, well, uh, I can simulate about two or three more qubits because that's all you, that's what you need if you want to simulate quantum. And uh, the underlying system of fortune is that the, the, it, it involves quantum physics. So you're, you're, you're only adding maybe one or two more parameters. Right, but with a quantum system, if you make ten times the number of qubits, then you have ten times the amount of parameters you can simulate in a more ide- ideal sense, uh, ideal uh, world without c- c- idealized. Into, yeah, without running into algorithm uh, and error correction. So I have a question. I'm actually going to skip ahead to this part of the notes I have here. Have you ever watched the show Devs? No, no, I I did not watch the show Dev. Uh, uh, ah, that's unfortunate. I, I don't well, I don't know what you like, right? So I don't know if you'll like the show, but it's basically a science fiction thriller. And and I am gonna get into I do want to bring it up because I think um, and based on what other people I've talked to that work with quantum a little bit, they said the show actually nailed it better than uh <laughs> than, than it really has any right to nail the concepts for a Hollywood writer, like that the guy actually uh, did some real research, which I always love when that happens. I, I uh, tend to not trust Hollywood sci-fi show. Well, um, well, ba- well, let me, uh, and so I'm going to get into the spoilers though, right? Um, so, so just a, I, I was just a warning to everyone. There will be spoilers I discuss here. Um, just because I can't talk about <laughs> what I want to unless I reveal some spoilers. Um, but basically, the show is what I would say is just your classic kind of secretive um, AI research company in Silicon Valley, right? That's where the show takes place. And there's a couple of new people who join the company. They have a startup. There's various characters, and they join a secret wing of this uh company that's called devs and it's secretive it's like they're you know black research area of the building where they're doing stuff that they don't want their competitors to know about all companies actually have stuff like this but um they find out that they basically have a working quantum computer and it turns into kind of a sci-fi thriller because you know why are they hiding it why do they want other people to not know about it And at first, when you realize they have a quantum computer, you're not sure what they're using it for. But what you realize through kind of a series of episodes, that's almost like a detective show, honestly, that the main antagonists of this software company haven't just created a quantum computer to do simple simulations, that they're basically trying to put as much data into the simulation of like real world objects and animals and like scanning animals day after day after day as they decay and die to simulate the real world. They want to simulate the real world using a quantum computer. And what you slowly realize is if they can simulate this real world, if they can simulate what's going to happen through decay, maybe they can simulate a decision someone's going to make. And then you start to realize, no, they're not even just trying to simulate what decision someone's going to make in 10 seconds. They're trying to simulate (laughs) the entire world through all history. And again, it's a show, but basically what you find out is that they've made a quantum computer that can simulate real world objects and everything around them. And because they can simulate that, like you touched on before, they can reverse time, not really reverse time, right? Not really, but they can look at what's happened in the past. And so because it's, think about it, right? If you can Mm -hmm. simulate what's happened in the past based on current physics of the present, 
That means you can simulate the future. And what you realize is they basically have a window into looking into everything that's happened in the past and everything that will happen in the future. And then it gets into like, you know, questions about if people really have free will and, um, you know, all these questions about multiple world theories too. Like, are we actually seeing what will happen in the future or are we looking at 99% chance of what is going to happen in the future? It's a really good show. I really do recommend it, right? Um, obviously I think it's far-fetched to think they would have this type of quantum computer in like 2022 or whenever this takes place, (laughs) but you know, you have to accept the TV show's premise and they like, you know, but what it always seems to come down to when I watch or read about these types of things is that quantum computing feels like it's always portrayed as kind of a threat, right? Kind of a threat to mankind, like the atomic bomb. And that's kind of some of the themes in the show too, of like, well, once we have this, it could completely change everything. So, so what do you think about quantum computing as kind of being potentially a threat to, to ourselves, right? Okay. If we actually got something this powerful. Well, I may be a bit biased, but I think quantum computing is a threat to, to just people who are slow to adopt it, to, to investigate it. But uh, we'll see. But I, I may be biased. It's not me trying to get a job or anything, but you know, <laughs> it's just that uh, the, the way I see it is uh, most enterprise uh, haven't have ju- uh, did not uh, three years ago start looking into quantum energy or doing it right now, right? And uh, it's it's maturing enough and enough so that the, the, the threat is if you if your enterprise, which many are dependent on uh, the algorithm that are being used right now for crypto or for for or any other concept, whether it's even doing if they do protein folding simulation, that they are expert in that, and they are not looking at quantum computing. That may, maybe those enterprises may, may may just disappear as uh, quantum computing becomes uh, important. And uh, if they, you don't adopt quantum quantum technologies, that that's where the threat is. I don't see it as uh, that reversionary of a threat, right? It will be. It's a bit like saying uh, industrial industrialization was a threat to farmers, right? At that point, it just uh, it, technology progressed, and you know humanity has to adapt. And well, if you don't adapt, you then your your, your company or your way of life may may stop existing, uh, as it were. But so you see it useful, right, for being used to do simulations for like curing cancer or something. That's what yeah, you yeah, see yeah. it as a productive thing to be used for. Uh, it's going to do simulation on cancer. It's can, it can do simulation on small stuff. With this simulating the world, it's a bit too, uh, I don't know, it's too, it's too big. It's not even microscopic for the kind of quantum computer we should have soon. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for most, that's basically... Um, well, right, I, I will, it's a TV I, I will, show I'm talking I, about. I will, right? quote, <laughs> I, I will quote Scott Aronson, right, when we were talking about the quantum simulacy a few, few months back, and he said, we're in the vacuum tube era of quantum computers, right? Uh, we haven't found the transistor yet, so uh, progress will be. Uh, I mean, it will happen, but uh, it, it's going to be slow, slow and steady, right, uh, as it goes. But right now, my belief is most promising uh, area of technology is quantum cryptography, and I think you will have quantum cryptography before you will have the ability to break, uh, you know, m- most keys right now. And, and so it's a, it's a question of adapting yourself to you know an emergent technology. Well, that's a really, um, that actually makes me feel quite a bit better to hear you say that it seems like we will have, shall we say, quantum defenses long before quantum computing is actually able to do any real damage to everyone's 
you know, keys and privacy, right? Yeah. Um, that's that makes you feel a bit better. But it is interesting, I think, that you brought up um that we are in the vacuum tube era that we don't even have the transistor yet. Cause that actually that part doesn't, you know, but you're saying that eventually we could have these computers capable of projecting people's actions. <laughs> It's just we're so far away from. It. I don't know. It, it, it's something. It, it, it's it's mostly mostly reminding me of Foundation from Isaac Asimov with uh, you know psycho history and predicting uh, the history of people right right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit more esoteric. We're not to the point uh, when we can where we can simulate the the old world. Right? Maybe we need a matriarchal brain. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. But at that point, if you want to talk about simulating the world, you should ask Isaac Carter. You would know more about it. <laughs> well, let um, me ask you this, though, right? Because I, I am just curious, and I don't mean to get off subject, but I think it's a fun thing to talk about. Like, so let's say you were in this show I talked about, though, and then you walk into this lab. They don't tell you what it is, right? They just decided, and this is what they decided in the show with one of the characters. Hey, you're smart enough. If you accept this, we're going to put you into our devs team. And that's some of those things everyone's always like, oh, my God, I got to get this, you know, a massive pay increase. I get to work on the coolest new stuff no one else gets to see. Let's say you, they said that to you. They said, you, you are that smart. We're going to put you in there. And then you discovered that they're working on a computer that can project humans' decisions, let's say, 30, like, a year ahead of the time they make that decision, which is actually something they also touch on in the new season of Westworld, by the way, which is very interesting that those shows came out around the same time. Um, But so what would you do if you saw you were working for a company that was trying to simulate and predict everyone's decisions a year ahead of time? (laughs) I don't know that the scientific is me in me is quite excited. So uh, mm-hmm. it would be it would be really interesting in how they do at that because it's a lot of software work to do that as well. For, yes, we, we shouldn't <laughs> mind that. Uh, even if uh, computers can double each time, uh, making software that doubles performance uh, that that's really really hard. Okay, so you would just be excited though. You wouldn't be yeah, concerned yeah. about the implications of like one company being able to control. Like is that 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 is one thing that I'm a little concerned about is what if one country or company does get a computer not that strong as the TV show right but I mean even a tenth as strong as that would be insane right like um, the amount of power that would give them is pretty crazy isn't it though yeah but it's a bit like the USSR you were making an assumption with the atomic bomb when when the idea has become as so when someone has gotten the idea working, right? Somebody else is going to copy it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, there's already the groundwork and everything like that. When you have a computer that powerful, they were able to make it work. I mean, it's a lot of hard work. So some, somebody else is going to say, well, not, now that we know a bit how they do it, we're going to be able to, to restore it and imitate it in a way. So I don't see a country having a, a, a monopoly on it. Uh, uh, if they do, it's not going to be for long. It's not going to be for long, or even just one company. Right? They, they, there's already so many competitors in quantum. Right? It, even if we come to the situation where it will be uh, at worst uh, Intel versus AMD, right? Situation. I don't think there will be that much of an ability in the quantum computing. Yeah, I really don't have that much more to add to this part of the conversation. I just because I don't even know. It just feels like 
the potential of how powerful a computer yeah. of this magnitude would be. It's it's honestly kind of hard to fathom what would change. It's just like, it sounds like you agree though, right? That this would be um, comparable to the atomic bomb, not in terms of making it sound scary. I don't, I don't mean to compare it to the atomic bomb to make it sound scary. Just that there would be everything we know about physics before and then after, right? <laughs> Once yeah. we get quantum computers, our capabilities are going to be vastly, vastly superior than yes, before yes, that. Yes. There could be a whole new industrial revolution, frankly. Exactly, exactly. That, that's the point. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite an optimist on this. I don't see threat from AIs right now. So and I don't see much more threat from quantum computers, even though I think quantum AIs, uh, but I mean, that's more of a hope than anything, so more of an opinion. I mean, I don't, I think those may be the, the kind of AIs that may, may be the best to imitate human behaviors at that point. But we won't. We won't. I don't think we'll see any uh, any of those in our in our lifetime anytime soon. But you know, that, you're that saying be... that's a problem for uh, our great grandchildren to figure out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But who knows? You know what the heck's <laughs> going on then? <laughs> but yes, um, but yeah, okay. So I don't know. We've been touching on it a bit. Um, Brian Scanlon writes in and he says, what are currently the biggest challenges associated with quantum computing? I've read that quantum error correction is critically important to ensuring accuracy given the quantum computers may have a tendency to be noisy uh, for lack of a better term. Well, yes, it's noisy and you have decorrence, you have error. So quantum error correction is one of the main, the main area to get, you know, working, uh, you know, large scale quantum computing. But even smaller computers right now, smaller circuits that are currently being run, that do simulation, you do quantum ML on those right now. Uh, those have, you know, when you do a bit of machine learning on, on, on this and learn some of the gates of the circuit without going into too much detail, those can help uh, correct some of the errors that you have inherent in your circuit, circuit right now. So I think for a lot of large scales for breaking, you know, uh, uh, RSA and everything like that, you need a lot of qubits. So those uh, are far away. You need uh, you know, error correction. But there will be application for what they call NIST device, right? Near-term intermediary quantum device. Basically, it's uh, th those will not be, will have to do some, uh, you know, I guess a, a bit of botch error correction or do, do it themselves. But those will have application, I think, uh, soon, right? Whether it's on simulation, whether it's uh, on, on quantum ML, even right now they are being used and, and run to, you know, do experiments and uh, you know, increase our, our knowledge of how the hardware works, how the our software is working right now. So I think those will have a soon soonish application, even without error correction. So error correction is the biggest yes, uh, yes. problem right now, though. You would yes, say yes, yes. Uh, if you can make. Uh, if we could have, basically, is that you have a physical qubit, which are the qubit your computer has, and when you mm. start correcting error, you have logical qubit, and most code you have, uh, you know, seven in one code and five in one code. Basically, you need five physical qubit for one logical qubit, or seven uh, physical qubit for one logical qubit. That's without going into topological quantum computers, right? But at that point. Uh, you will need, like, you have a scale that even if we have right now some computers that are 32, 64, even 128, uh, first of all, they cannot do error you correction. Mean uh, qubits, right? Qubits. Okay. Yes, sorry. They even cannot do error correction right now because the qubits are too noisy and you need a, a, a threshold 
so that when you add more qubits into the system, you can run the error correcting code, right? But uh, even if they did, right, the amount of qubits we would have would be something in the order of like four, five, or six qubits at that point in time, right? Uh, and it, 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 it's not allowed to do anything, right? Your co your computer right now can simulate for a circuit of uh, six and eight qubits really, really efficiently, right? Mm. It, it's not it, it's not taking that much time if you want to to run to run circuit that small, right? So how, how do I put this then? Because from the sounds of it to me, it sounds like right now so much of quantum computing is making it work. Oh, well, of course, right? Because we don't really have that many quantum computers yet. But it, it's all about making quantum work on standard computers now. Um, am I wrong? Not that it's, if you want to do quantum simulation, then you can simulate quantum circuits on current computers. And, you know, we can do about uh, 20 qubits on your average GPU. And if you have a server, you can do about 40 to 50, right? Uh, you know, with supercomputers, right? Uh, and, that's and exponential we're doing scaling, that, right? Like for academic purposes, right, though, for like simulating things to try to learn more about quantum computing yeah, itself. Exactly, because, yes, exactly. You, you, well, I did it for my research when I did my quantum machine learning things. You know, I had to, I wrote my quantum simulator, I coded it, and you know, they did did my experiment using this, right? Because you, you most you usually don't have access to much quantum hardware, right? There's <laughs> not, not usually. Many, I, I do have some access, so I I, I have to remind me from to to use this before it it runs out in September. But you know, uh, mm -hmm. right? So to do some tests, but. But basically, the big player right now, you have uh, China, Rigetsi, IBM, Google, and Intel. Mm -hmm. Those, and there are some minor players like One Qubit, uh, you know, and, uh, and a bunch of quantum startups like Zaplata and uh, other other things like that. But the, those guys, uh, the big players, they have quantum computers right now. They do offer cloud access, and you know, there are a lot of software solutions. And uh, IBM likes to market a lot there. Uh, yeah, IBM always markets it. Yeah, and I mean, but I, I like uh, I we do like the the Rigetti uh, solution uh, uh, in my lab. I mean, uh, quite a lot. I mean, so the people who worked on it find it quite useful. But there's a Xanadu that makes uh, they're more in quantum AI, but they makes uh, they they make an overall course software solution, so you don't you're not dependent on any specific stat. And uh, there's work on quantum compilers, even to you know make the circuit one with with any any variant of the hardware right now. So there's a lot of development, even on uh, short-term quantum hardware. And there's simulation. You usually need the need both right now to 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 do to do what you want to do in quantum. You're, you're pretty much if you have uh, all of the current quantum computer can be simulated, right? And it's, you're probably going to have a better results simulated simulating yourself. Most of the twenty qubits, but you will not you will not have uh, what the hardware is doing, right? What sort of error it's having, and the you know everything that goes into the engineering and the, the physics department that you do when you want run a real circuit on the quantum hardware to improve our knowledge of how to make better quantum computers physically. So, but again, though, right? So, uh, so most quantum researchers are just trying to understand how to build and improve quantum computers. Most of the research is into making them, right? No, there's a lot of the research in physics, right? Okay. Into making them and into, and it's much more into engineering right now, I would say, uh, that it was five years ago, right? The, the hardware we have now, it's 
it's a lot more engineering, right? If you were five years ago and you had, uh, you, you wanted to do quantum engineering, it basically did not exist. Right now, it's it, it's existing and it's working. You you can go into do engineering and you know work, uh, you know, with uh, your your screwdriver and try to make the machine works. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a huge candlestick they call it, right? That works at like one Kelvin, uh, depending. And you so, Carpenter Cry writes in though, and he says, "But will it play Crisis?" Ah, <laughs> uh, if you wanted to play Crisis, maybe in twenty years we can do Quantum Crisis. Uh, to to please a gamer, uh, there there's a, there are quantum algorithms for ray tracing and pet tracing, and it's <laughs> gonna be. And, and, and if you add one, right? Right now, if your GPU, if your your GPU uh, was quantum right now, basically, uh, uh, some sort of uh, sixteen fifty was quantum. It could it could run ray tracing quite well. <laughs> so, but then he continues and he says, "How does it feel to be working on pixie dust?" And he means it as a joke. But when I was at Hot Chips last year, someone asked about quantum computing and jim keller cut them off and said that's pixie dust it's it's nothing so what do you say to that though right like so jim keller at least openly says quantum is uh is alchemy it's like trying to turn lead into gold and it's never going to go anywhere what would you say to that uh maybe that's the reason why intel fired him (laughs) (laughs) they didn't believe in the in, in in intel's quantum uh quantum department i guess You're going to get so many angry comments now from all the uh, fanboys that will say, no, Jim Keller left Intel because Intel's stupid. (laughs) I don't know. uh, I don't know. I I don't have a sense of this, I think. But Jim Keller is quite brilliant. But he he isn't classical. He works in classical computing. Do Do you think there's, I mean, obviously you're going into quantum, right? And so... You're biased. We agree, (laughs) right? But at the same, you're convinced. But at the same time, would you give, I don't even know how to ask this, right? Would you give any shred of credibility to Jim Keller's side of the argument that maybe it's not going to be used that much? Do you just entirely reject that? Could you see, could you see some situation where in 10 years we're like, hey, we're going to use it for this stuff, but it's not going to be used in nearly as many things as we thought we would. Uh, I'd say five years, five years ago, yes. Five years ago, it was Pixie Dust. So maybe it didn't uh, keep updated, but the, the development in hardware is quite crazy, right? We went from, we don't have any working computer to we're in the vacuum tomorrow, right? It, it mm-hmm. was fast, right? Basically, like from like 2014-15 to right now, right? Basically, 2015, the Chinese launched a satellite. IBM had, had their first quantum computer working with uh, five qubits. And, uh, you know, right, right now we've been having, a, shall we say, a most awful quantum computer where we doubled the mm. amount of qubits uh, every uh, one to two years, right, at that point. So, I mean, it, uh, when I first thought about joining quantum back then, right, it, it, it was nowhere. No, nowhere close to what it is right now. And I mean, so you the, did the think it was risky. Was yes. You thought it was risky to join it before, though. When you was it a hard decision at first? A bit, but I'm like, I have a bachelor in computer science. I can work. I can work a other computer science job, whether it's in machine learning or mm. uh, whatever. I mean, as long as long as I don't work in web development, I'm fine. 
I just ate it. I just, I just, I didn't do, I didn't do my degree for this. <laughs> yeah, I think I, you know, I, I study mechanical engineering as you probably know, and uh, I mean, I did some programming there, and there were some things that were I thought were fun to work on. But I agree, if I went into programming, I think web development is the one thing. I would just not want to do. Although I don't, I'm not trying to throw <laughs> any web developers under the bus listening. I'm sure there are some. Um, but yeah, well, let me, so let me move on though to another problem I have. And I think I touched on it, but I really want to push into this. And that's the fact that am I, and I don't even completely understand this, right? I'm not a quantum researcher, but as far as I'm aware, all of these quantum computers need to run at sub one Kelvin, you know? Just so everyone, most people who listen to this probably know what that means, but that's negative 273 degrees Celsius. That's almost absolute zero. I'm, am I wrong? Don't they build these in cold areas too? Like we're like, I, I swear I've heard plans to build quantum computers on the, uh, on the South pole of the world, just because at least it's colder there. And so the facility will be easier to cool further. Like that, it takes an immense amount of energy to cool them. Or, or am I wrong about how hard that is to cool them? How much of a problem that is? Yeah, it's it's hard to cool them, but it's it also doesn't replicate, right? Basically, for, for, from what I remember is that if you have a quantum computer and you cool it, and then you decide to, okay, now the machine is maintenance, so we're going to uncool it, and then you rerun the same machine, it's no longer going to be calibrated, no longer going to have the same kind of errors, the same kind of... Uh, you know, uh, behaviors that it had previously. So yeah, it's hard, and it's you. You you have to cool them right now. But uh, as I've said, for for quantum cryptography, you don't need to cool it, right? So there's an application or that that you can do at room temperature, right? But for for most of the exciting quantum stuff, I guess if uh, you're not excited by having uh, you know key that are secured by quantum mechanics, right? I mean, it's uh, it's your point of view, <laughs> but. Yes, for, for that, it, you need to cool it and you need classical controller at those temperatures and it has challenge, right? For example, for you, we talked a lot about HBM, right? But mm-hmm. HBM at 102 Kelvin, it, it, the way it stacks, right? When I was talking to people that make memory, right? Um, it doesn't like this temperature. It's, it's mostly going to fail and breaks, right? So there was uh, some recent article with Intel making a, quant- um, a quantum controller to work at those temperatures, right? So there's a lot of challenge even making classical hardware working at one, two, and four Kelvin, depending on which layer you are on the on the cooling stack, right? Because mm-hmm. when when you have those quantum computer, it's basically like it's like a, a chandeliers, right? You have uh, when you have a new room, right? The, the cooling the, the cooling goes to to the tube, right? Like a, like a use like, like each candlestick has cooling, and each layer has different temperature, you know, from like ten, four Kelvin to one Kelvin, mm-hmm. right? But this is what I know. I'm not. I'm not really in physics and in engineering. I'm more in computer science. So uh, I usually uh, mm. just assume properties of this. Well, so that and that's where I keep approaching it from too. Is it's like for me, it's not the complexity of the computer itself necessarily, although that's certainly a whole thing. Um, you know, I'm an engineer. I just want to look at the thermodynamics. And when I see that you need to cool this at absolute zero, it's like. Hmm. <laughs> um, like I, I start to think about it, like, for instance, like, I don't think there's any way we're putting quantum computers on a spaceship ever. Right. You have to worry about radiation coming through the side to hurt humans. These machines sound. Yeah, you're sure. You're sure. Because satellites have less noise to worry about because uh, the atmosphere makes a lot of noise. So when they, they that's why the Chinese launch a satellite, 
So they have more coherence, right? For like 90% of the travel, when you shoot it from space, right? Your, your qubits, you won't have the coherence because you're in space. So maybe space is a better place to put the quantum computers. Who knows? I was actually arguing the opposite. I, I, know, I know, the... I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like, and just when you think of how much energy is, well, and I guess I don't know that, like how much energy is needed to power one quantum computer at IBM? Do you know off the top of your head? No, no, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't Maybe IBM probably told me and I forgot. I wonder if, I, I wonder if Google will just tell me. Let's see. 25 kilowatts of power, $25,000 per unit. Eh, eh, when you consider how much energy those cerebrus wafer scale <laughs> things are using, it's not that mm. much energy, I guess, if you could actually make this do the things we want it to, I suppose. But I mean, I guess that's kind of how I see, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm very skeptical now, as you can tell. And so I guess the way I see quantum computers is kind of how you said in the beginning, kind of like ASICs or FPGAs, where it's like, I don't in our lifetime see these things replacing personal computers or doing a bunch of stuff. I just see them as, man, if you've got a lot of money and like a really expensive facility and a really specific problem, this quantum computer could maybe allow us to solve a problem we just couldn't solve before. But it's not really there to replace classical computers, right? But it, and it won't be. I mean, mo most people don't like talking about hybrid computing when you have a classical computer and a quantum computer working inside them. Because for them, when you have a quantum computer, you need a classical controller anyway. So it's part, it's part of the feature of a quantum computer is to have a classical computer assi assisting it, basically, at that point. So yeah, it, it, it will... For for quantum computing, computing it will evolve into us. It, it will evolve, I would say, into A6 and FPGA, right? Uh, South quantum, and you can view it the same in the, the the same way for like when you we we would could use optical quantum computing for the application I've mentioned before, quantum cryptography, because you you can send photon to current optical fiber, right? Uh, you you, mm -hmm. you can you can share quantum key with this. You know, more work is needed to make it mainstream, mainstream, but that there will be application that does not, don't need to run a room temperature. And, you know, uh, the people in physics and in engineering will do their best to make a quantum computer work at more acceptable temperature, right? So eventually, uh, maybe, but uh, it, it's not coming anytime soon that we'll get room temperature quantum. And this is a big breakthrough. And I would be quite happy if there was a big breakthrough like that. Well, so that's perfect. You bring that up. Um... Kerry Baldino writes in and he says, mainly curious where quantum computing is at now and how it compares to current microprocessors. Also, what is the estimate on your side for quantum computers becoming attainable for personal use? So where are we now and where will we be just by wild guesses from you in 10, 20 and 100 years? Well, what we all know, I refer again to Scott Aronson, we're in the vacuum tube era. Right, we don't have the transistor. Uh, in, in ten years, I would say personal use uh, is going to be over the cloud. Right, I, I'm, I, I dislike anything that's over the cloud, but that's basically uh, what quant what the first quantum computer will be. Right, it will be over the cloud. Right, like paying and, for it, kind of like how we do now for server exactly. processing power over the cloud. Do you exactly. think that's where we'll be in ten or twenty years? Yeah, in ten years. In ten years. In ten to okay. years. That, that's good. That's gonna be it. You cannot. It'll start pay. to become commonplace. You can already in a college, pay for, right? for quantum. That, that's computers. what you're saying, though. Like you're saying, just to completely define what you're what you're speculating on. You're saying in ten years, 
it'll be commonplace for many STEM researchers at college to go to several different types of quantum labs and use their processing power through the cloud. Uh, right now, it's common, but it will be even more common, right? Uh, there's enough, maybe not for STEM lab, but it, right now, researchers are using it, right? Some researchers are using it, and if you have specific researchers, but it will be, shall we say, more widespread at that point. More, so in more, 20 years, college students can use it. Well, you can use it right now. Uh, IBM will let you use their quantum computer. Well, that's what I've I used meant it when I said STEM researchers. Ah, okay, I just okay. meant like anyone in engineering, computer science, or... Okay, okay. Well, you can use it right now. I mean, in, in uh, Sherbrooke, right? The University of Sherbrooke, back near, near home, has working chandeliers, but, you know, their quantum computers have one or two qubits, right? I think mm-hmm. the, the, the help uh, STMicron, it's STMicron that have some, some chip for them that can uh, handle one or two qubits that, you know, something like one or four Kelvin, right? They're working on quantum dots. I, I, I won't go into too much detail because it's basically physics at that point. It's not my area mm-hmm. of expertise, right? But Right now, a college student can work on some hardware if you're interested in the engineering and the physics kind of things. You, you, can, find, you can find work opportunity there. And uh, I would say it, it's already somewhat common, but when you were talking about STEM research, right, that uh, maybe there will be some bi- biologists, uh, chemists oh, already working there. Th- 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 sure. Those may be in 10 years because uh, it, it's basically okay. a, a bit similar to the machine learning development. Well, they're right? included in yet, STEM, but... Yeah, but we're not right to the point where they where they what they are using it right unless they they're working in a quantum uh, chemistry on quantum or doing fourteen funding. You need very to be very very in in their area of field, and uh, you know they have they have someone there know that that does quantum computing, and they, they decide to collaborate for articles. You know. Okay, so my brother Dan, who's the co-host of uh, every other Broken Silicon episode who's in genetics research, in 10 years, he'll be able to use quantum, you think, is yeah, what you're I think, saying. I think. It's, it's awful, but yeah, yeah. That, it, would be, it would be great for him if he was able to do that. I mean, for protein folding and everything, it would make so for some great development in uh, genetic research. Telos writes in and he says, will quantum computing truly change the networking landscape or will it be a more gradual phase change? I've heard both argued in my college days. I don't see how it's an opposition, though. I mean, it will truly change, and it's going to be gradual. So I don't. I, I mean, it's. I guess yeah. I don't know. Maybe he means. Maybe he's asking: Is there going to be small uses here and there, or is it just not going to be useful and then change overnight? I, I think it's going to be small, small step. You know, we're going to we're going to take a small step and come to the point where most of the cryptography is use use quantum key distribution. Well, hopefully, right? Hopefully, and the sooner the better, because it's a one one less thing that can be broken, right? And uh, it, it's basically the defense and depth arguments again. Archon nine seven one says, "I always wanted to know if you decide to study quantum computing, are you being taught about a general system and how to build it so it can be used universally, or are there major architectural differences dependent in which field a quantum computer should operate. Furthermore, was your studying more theoretical and limited to several tasks uh, that you can do with a quantum computer, or did you get a chance to work on a project? So I don't know. There's a lot of questions yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. First of all, I would say we have a general system, but it's basically a bit like a classical computer. You, you have like a level programming language, and then you have a low-level programming language like from from like uh, you know Python to C C plus uh, plus 
to to the low level assembly and to the machine code that the, that your computer has. Each of those has each has a specific layer in classical, and in quantum we have the, the same thing, right? We have the, what we usually how we study it is that we make abstraction of the error correction at, at first, right? We work on like an unlevel perspective of quantum, like just using circuit with perfect qubits and everything, and the, well, the more you go down, the more each architecture has different things. And it's what, you know, most quantum computing uh, language, I would say, or libraries try to abstract. They try, each of them tries to be able to, so that if you have a circuit right now, you're working and you want to run it on a quantum hardware, it can work on any quantum hardware. You know, you can you can run it on a, on your, the library and it's going to compile it the same way you, you would we would compile C++ code to assembly. And whether and it would be a bit like difference in architecture between x86, x64, x66, 32 bits, and and RIM, right? If you have the same software, you want the compiler to be able to compute it for to compile it for different architecture and whatever the features are. So we can be hardware agnostic this way, and we we learn the more general approach. And if you mm-hmm. want to delve into specifics, then it becomes uh, again a question of engineering and physics. But it is more bigger picture theoretical exactly. for you right now. Well, when I began, it was mostly theori- uh, fully theoretical because we didn't have quantum hardware when I began studying uh, quantum computing. Right now, we have quantum hardware, which is, you know, we didn't expect this. Right? So it's, 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 it, for me, it makes me more optimistic about the future. And it, become, it became a much more, you can have much more practical thing. And yes, I did get a chance to work on my pro- on the project when I did my master, which was in quantum machine learning. To move on to another subject here, this is kind of one of the last ones I actually wrote down. What are your thoughts on, like, because this is a big thing. Well, it's, it's a big thing for some people. For me, I actually, as you can tell, kind of dismiss it in these notes for now. It's not to say that I entirely dismiss quantum computing and the ability to hack into you know, like SHA-256 and all that. I just don't see it as this fundamental threat right now. And it's something that kind of, it might, correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically said that, that we have ways of securing quantum keys right yes. now. And so before we're ever going to be able to hack any Bitcoin key, we will have encryption that is... The, the, the problem for that is that, as I've said, is that our quantum key, they replace the thing that quantum computers don't really break, like SHA-256, which becomes SHA-128. Which Bitcoin uh, uses. Bitcoin uses, but Bitcoin also uses uh, some elliptic curve to do the, the signature, the authentication, to make sure you're the one who's, uh, who is paying for it. Right. And uh, what he said in the video, I think, is that for, for this, even if it's broken, if you only use each address once, then... That's right. That's what I've heard from someone else, too. Right. Uh, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've watched <laughs> the video, I think. It sounds like you ago. understand how Bitcoin works more than most people I talk to. So I don't know how in-depth you would be able to get into this conversation. Uh, I, I'm more uh, more a Monero guy, so... Uh, oh, boy. I, mean, I, I prefer the anonymous <laughs> things. But yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you are a Monero guy since you were mining with big guys a, a while back. But Oh, yeah, I mined some uh, Monero. Monero. Uh, for sure I did. And uh, <laughs> although I did... Uh, Hey, look, man, I don't know. How much, I mean, I, I can talk about Monero, Ethereum, and Bitcoin as much as you want. I think you know from listening to me that by now I'm just, I've thrown out the other coins and I'm just all in on Bitcoin at this point. But, um, and we can certainly get into that if you want to. But I mean, to, to well, let's just say this though, to round up the thing I brought up though, it's that, I mean, look, 
for the most parts of Bitcoin and many of the cryptocurrencies, which almost all of them are derived from Bitcoin anyways, um, they're not easy for quantum to hack even theoretically. Now, there are certain signatures that aren't as encrypted, right, as the Mm -hmm. other keys. But at the same time, like if you like like you said, if you use a different public key, a different because right, the way a bit just for everyone listening, understand this. The way a Bitcoin wallet works is you'd usually generate, usually you generate most apps do this by default, a new public key when you want to receive Bitcoin. You all quantum could do is theoretically eventually take a, a little bit of time to crack one of those. Is what you're saying, right? And they yeah, would have yeah, to know exactly. that. And if you use a new one each time, there's no way they could get to almost any amount of it. And there's an base, right? For all intents and purposes, there's unlimited public keys there could be. So the ability to crack it now is not easy. And most developers, the ones I follow, the ones that actually seem to know what they're talking about, right? Um, that talk about it say that they've already kind of started work on what they would do to. Well, there's already work. The, the, I think the NSA has the, each year they, they, they want to make a, a post quantum cryptography, right? If we want to talk mm-hmm. about crypto, we don't talk post quantum crypto, which is basically a signature algorithm, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that at that point is not breakable by, by crypto, by quantum computers, right? That, that's what they are trying to develop, right? Or whether they'll be able to do it right now. Because, uh, like, ba- basically at, at the beginning, we were, we were considering two algorithms, RSA and uh, Michaelis. Mm-hmm. And RSC was eventually broken by quantum. Uh, uh, Mechanist isn't right now, but we don't really know, right? But it's not, we don't know if it's broken. So the consideration in post-quantum is basically if we adopt an algorithm, could it be broken classically even, or will it be broken even by quantum computers in the future? So it's an hard decision. So that's why the, the NSA is working on this. And, you know, with people all over the world are, are, working, are, are working on making on post-quantum cryptography using very, very different kind of technologies for those interested, whether it's uh, a different elliptic curve or learning whatever, so a, a, a bunch of technology that it's, that's pertinent to go into details. But uh, because even quantum has that weakness, because the, the weakness of quantum is that we don't have a quantum scheme to assign and authenticate. Basically, is that a, the, 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 the money problem is that, yeah, you, you want to give your public key so that you, you, can, you give so. Uh, in Bitcoin, so that you 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 receive your money, but at that point you, you want to identify that the other people would want to know if the the, the money is giving it to is giving is in fact you, right? That's that's the point of signature and uh, and public key crypto, right? You want to identify that you are yourself, right? Mm-hmm. When when you're when you're with someone, and that's the thing we don't uh, know how to do in quantum right now, and that's the thing that is currently being broken, right? It's uh, you know authenticating that you are the right person, and if you want to do a Skype conversation, whether it's a Skype conversation that the guy you're talking Skype to Skype conversation, is, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. For example, the guy you're talking to is the the, the actual person. We don't want to do that quantum thing, right? Right now, maybe we'll do we we'll know in the future. And classically, it's what's currently being broken, and it, it, it gets more extended when you're at a website, whether it's a Steam, and you want, you know, Steam, and you want to play a game, right? You would like to know that, that you're you're sending your money to Steam and not someone else, right? At that point, mm-hmm. so changing public key all the time for Steam may not be a, a, a good solution for them, right? For example, yeah. you you want a certification or what what for whatever website you're using your money at. Well, that, that's kind of something I point out, too, to the people that say quantum's a threat to cryptocurrencies is it's like, hey, look, if uh, 
<laughs> Bitcoin's already partially quantum resistant. So if they find a way to break Bitcoin with quantum, I got news for you. They've broken everything. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Everything we own is now broken and was probably broken years before that. So I think the canary in the coal mine will be mm-hmm. when other things start getting broken first. Right. Yeah. But at that point, like if cryptocurrency are broken, your credit card is broken. You have other things to worry about, right? We've officially gotten off subject. So how yes, about yes. we uh, just do some final reader mails here? Let me see. Which outcome of quantum computing do you think will most affect the types of computations gamers care about? Quantum computing being used directly to simulate quantum mechanics in a game or accelerating classic things that we use to run games now? So in other words, he's saying, and let me add on to Edward Huff. This is Edward Huff who asked this question. How soon do you think we will use some portion of quantum computing? And, and and I don't know, I don't want to be dismissive, but like real quantum computing in a game. And what will we use it for in a game? Uh, I think if I'm all full for multiplayer game, we're going to use quantum key distribution for the server side communication. That mm. That's why I'm all full the most, but that's strictly quantum computing. So, I mean, for gaming, it's, it's really, really, it, it's, you're asking things a bit too far, right? It's a bit, uh, how shall I put it? It's a bit like asking, what, what is machine learning going to, to help game with? Yeah, what, yeah. Right? This is what in, 2000, know, in, in 2005, right? But in 2005, right? Like ah. what on, when people were, were bashing a neural net, right? As something that will never work, right? Yeah, that's it. So you're saying, I mean, look, everything will probably be used in games eventually since so many people play games, mm-hmm. but it is uh, definitely not the first, second, said, or third thing, right? Yeah, well, it's already support. said path tracing, retracing. You can accelerate it with a quantum computer if I, if I remember the algorithm properly, right? But mm-hmm. uh, for us, quantum computers, we're not, I mean, it can make some uh, uh, cool block pass somewhere. Is uh, all you accelerate, you know, would you? <laughs> the Monte Carlo search, but we don't. That's enough it. buzzword to get some clicks, right? Quantum exactly. ray tracing and gaming, exactly. and exactly. everyone, all the scientists and the gamers want to click on that link now. Exactly, but it, it's not. It's it's not the most of our research is not concentrated there because it's you know somewhat far away. It doesn't have a major real world application, shall we say? But for networking, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping we, we we switch to quantum equation uh, soonish. So, so to make sure I understand correctly and summarize for everyone, you're basically saying quantum computing will get gaming is not even in the top three things on the list. But once we get to gaming, it'll probably be used for network communication and then ray tracing. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not then ray tracing. Maybe there's going to be more interesting stuff you can do with it at that point. I mean, uh, it, it reminds me a bit of the well. We're going to talk about Naughty Dogs. Maybe it's a naughty subject right now, but there's this uh, really, really good blog post by one of the making of Crash Bandicoot, right? <laughs> by the developers. It's really, really great for every classical computer scientist, right? The, the devs of uh, of Crash, right? Pretty much talks about how they were working with the, the PlayStation, and I don't remember, I think it's 8 or 16 megabytes of RAM, and all, uh, all of the optimization, right? They, they were working to make Crash Bandicoot fit, fit on, on a PlayStation 1 and on a disc and... Uh, yeah, um, it's it's really really uh, it's really. I've awful. actually I think I've heard of this book before. Like that, it's there are so post. many principle oh blog posts like the principles used to make Crash Bandicoot actually were like a really really good outline of like all of the classic problems you run into making games and programming. Right, 
And at that point, I'm sure if you, if we would have given those people a quantum hardware, uh, they would have <laughs> they would have done something with it. We would have no idea, right? I think the, the best example I had was they they had to compress things, right? So they were using some sort of uh, a, a huge uh, five fifty thousand uh, dollars, you know, workstation machine that pretty much did uh, some sort of gradient descent to compress everything, right? So they had to tell artists that the, the character they made, if, uh, you know, it didn't converge, right? If they weren't able to find a compression for it, uh, you need to change your character because we cannot fit this uh, on the, the 16 megabytes, I think, of, uh, of RAM the PlayStation has. I mean, it, this, it's hardware consideration all the time. You just, if you give them the tools, they will use it. Yeah. And so here's some final reader mails. And some of these, I don't even know if I understand. Um, Edward Huff writes in and he says, macroscopic decoherence, yay or nay? And uh, I saw it uh, be, when you saw me the note and I don't even know what he's talking about, right? That's, that's so I think we're going to give that in. I know, I know, I know decoherence. <laughs> what, what is decoherence, right? So, I mean, you, 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 when you fight decoherence with error correction, that's what mm-hmm. we want to do. Right and macroscopic, I guess. So yeah, when computer gets bigger, uh, you need more error correction. But I don't really know what he's talking about, so I, I'm pronounced. I don't know. Lazy physicist writes in and he says, "What kind of qubit do you see as the most promising one for future quantum computers, especially for scaling to larger numbers and lower operating costs?" Uh, so let's let's ask that one first. He has two questions. Well, uh, I think, and a lot of physicists talk to me about it, the technology for future quantum computers hasn't been invented yet, right? And it, But if it has, I, I'm on the <laughs> topological quantum computers. That That's the side I'm on for now, but we'll see what happens. Okay. And he says, how do you rate the chances of finding a job in the field in the near future? I'm currently doing my bachelor's in physics. Yeah, well, right now, m- most people says that if you want to go into quantum, right, it's basically you do you do your major in physics and your minor in computer science. In a few years, mm. you'll do the reverse. But me, I went with uh, just my, just computer science, no physics. It, it doesn't really yeah, that, matter. Yeah, that makes but, a lot of sense, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how it always works out, right? Like, once something's new, it's more on the physics and engineering side. Like, let's see if we can even build, the, build this god dang thing. And then the more you get into it, it turns into, well, can you operate it, right? Exactly, exactly. But uh, if you have a bachelor in physics, I think may- maybe a master's is um, needed right now. They're, they're looking to, uh, I think most co- enterprise says we have too much PAD, we need more master's students, probably because uh, they want to lower their costs a bit. But uh, right now, I, I would say yes, you will find a job. It's basically, I hope, right, I'm a bit optimistic, it's basically what's the likelihood of finding a job in, in machine learning in a few years when you're in 2008 or 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna get. You're go- Somebody's gonna hire. You. So there, there's many enterprises working on this, right? We've talked about them: Rigetti, Google, uh, Intel, uh, IBM, uh, one qubit here in Canada. But that, I mean, even in Montreal, Montreal we have many startups, uh, even in Quebec. But there, there are people that are working internationally. Uh, S- Singapore, the National University of Singapore has a huge lab there, so there are people working in quantum. Uh, even in Korea, people are working in quantum. In China, many people are working in, in quantum. I think, uh, you know, without going into too much politics, but China pretty much in the last five years went from being at the bottom of the barrel to being the first in quantum. So, uh, they're the one so, with the so most money. let me ask you that. What would make you say that, qu- that China is the first in quantum? 
Uh, the amount of money they invest, they, they have invested, right? I think, uh, you know, basically mm. in quantum computing. Do you mean first in spending money or have they done things with it? Uh, they've done a lot of things with it. Uh, yeah, they, they, they've spent money and they've done a lot of things that were mainly, uh, it, most of the things uh, that they've done, it's something Canada, the US and even Europe, you know, they had plans to do it. They just didn't have the money to do it. Right. So, which is why they went from, you know, because it was mainly an engineering mm. effort right now. You know, you had to construct the, the satellite, you had to construct uh, all of the device that, wor- that, that works with it. So, yeah, it made them, it made them go from, you know, they, they, I guess, without going too much detail, they, they've, t- they've sort of algorithms that may have been developed in the West and everything, but they've implemented them in practice at, uh, you know, scale we didn't, we didn't, we didn't have before when they have implemented quantum teleportation or quantum cryptography as, as they did. I think they're the, right now, I think they're the first, right? Because look, overall, but uh, the West is, is first in uh, quantum computer software, right? The China, right. I would say it's first in uh, globally in uh, mostly quantum encryption because they, they, they really want, uh, for, for, for some reason, I would say they really want to have a secure infrastructure on, those, on their side. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put my money on why. I but can they guess want why. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. They don't yeah. want to have their uh, their little black mirror surveillance state dystopia they built for themselves to be hacked. Uh, not to say that I have any opinions on that. I clearly do. <laughs> but it would make sense that the first thing they want to do is make sure no one can hack them. Yeah, but most of the scientists, to, to, to be honest with us, uh, we're kind of neutral with this. Chinese scientists, they collaborate with Western scientists. There's not many animosity, but science a bit come first, right? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you, for, for the, I guess, the, the people who want sciences, they'll be the judge of whether it's good or bad. I'm a scientist, so I'm on the side of good, but... I'm just, I, let's build it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the Chinese lend the satellite to the to Europeans from time to time when it passes over them, right? So, so for the, for, to do experiments and things like that. So there's, there's a spirit of collaboration in quantum. I don't know if the, I guess the Cold War right now. It hasn't been Chinese. ruined yet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll 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 ruin it, but yes. yes. All right. I I have one more reader mail here. Uh, by Jeremy Lamb, and he asks, "Are we living in a simulation?" Uh, th- there was a great opposition to that uh, that uh, you know some uh, people at my lab worked on, but uh, basically is Oppos- that okay. I'm uh, curious. Yeah, yeah. Basically, is that uh, when you c- uh, call the simulation and everything, you, you you're going to have bugs, and so mm. there's basically two things: either it's the bugs will beg the simulation, or the people will figure out they're living in a simulation. Right. That's that's the two main thing. Uh, but what, when you start, you know, basically. One of the main arguments for living in a simulation is that you can make simulation in a simulation in a simulation, you know, a, simula- a simulation section. Right. Right? This right. idea of multiple worlds, but inside a computer. Yeah, but at that point, th- this idea is a bit broken because you have this factor of bugs and you add mm-hmm. the factor of uh, a problem in the universe that is doing the simulation, whether it's, a, it's an electron flipping a bit. Exactly. Uh, I was about to say the amount of energy it would take. And they touch on that again to bring it up in the show devs where they're like, well, we could do this. And he goes, you would need a universe sized computer to simulate the universe 100 percent accurately. And then someone said, that's not true. And then she goes, it is true. Literally, (laughs) that's how big the the computer would need to be to simulate an entire world, an entire galaxy or universe 100 percent accurately. 
Yeah, it's, it's a bit at that scale, but exactly. But but you have errors, right? Your computer, uh, you, you, you would have to use uh, supernovas as coding because if you have a supernova that's happening and it's wipes out your computer, that the simulation run out and the simulation is over, right? So basically, mm -hmm. it, it, adds, it, it adds and compounds on the risk that the simulation will break. So at that point, you, you, the conclusion is we're not living in a simulation or in the like, unlikely uh, event that we do, we, we're living in the higher... Uh, your level on the simulation system, oh. like. <laughs> or at the very least we're living at one of the highest tiers of a simulation is what you're saying yeah, exactly because if we assume like the no, no fancy new physics right that the, the simulation the, the, our simulation is we have they have the same physics as us right because if you mm -hmm. start changing the rules of physics, then I guess you can you can do anything you want at that point. I don't know. You say there's no bugs in the world right now, and I look at uh, current events. I'm seeing a few bugs. There's a few <laughs> glitches going on. If you ask me, maybe <laughs> uh, maybe it's human or maybe malware. we're just learning a lot about human nature. Uh, in the maybe, past maybe it's few human years. malware, but uh, we won't. Yeah. Yeah, my answer to the simulation question is this. It doesn't matter. And I don't know why you care. Whether we're living in a simulation or not, how does this affect you? you this is what, whether the world's real or not. This is the world you're living in. Your actions matter to the world you're living in. And you should try to live your best life and take it seriously. Because whether it's a simulation or not, this is the world you got. So I don't know why you care if it's a simulation. Like, yeah, why does it matter? I don't get it. I, I don't. Oh, maybe okay. So you know, say we're in a simulation. What changes? Nothing. You're just you're still living in that same house. I don't. <laughs> uh, maybe you can break it or do some things like that. But yeah, I'm I'm on your side now. Right now. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't. So many times when I hear, "Are we living in a simulation?" It just reminds me of like people who say they're not religious, but are creating a religion. It's like, well, it sounds like you're trying to create a religion to make the world make sense to you. And maybe you should just accept you don't have any control, whether it's a simulation or not. Isn't that what ideologies are? Though? Yep. Ideologies and religion are the same thing. <laughs> it's just sometimes people don't have a religion. And so they, well, as we're seeing, they commit to certain ideologies a little too hard. <laughs> It's a bit like the West. Uh, what was the uh, allusion? You were like on the book six or the seven of the in the fall of the Roman Empire or something. Sometimes it feels like this, right? Well, but maybe we're going too out of subject right now. <laughs> well, if we're talking about the Roman Empire, I think we're several tiers out of subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you get me talking too much about history, it's not a good idea. It's a bit of an idea. But you know, I, I'd say I, I, I would find a job more job in quantum than in history. So I'm in quantum. <laughs> well, yeah, probably a more lucrative job too, most exactly. of the time as well. <laughs> um, well, that's basically it then. That's all of the reader mails. I believe that's all of the subjects I wrote down. Yep, I crossed them all out. Um, I guess this is pretty much it. We should wrap it up. But I mean, like, is there anything else you want to? plug or say about uh, plug about anything you're doing probably i mean probably not but i mean like maybe if you do and otherwise what is there any last things you want to say about quantum uh maybe i, I wanted to explain a bit more on uh, 
because uh, I'm going to steal someone else's uh, uh, analogy, right? Diffie uh, from Diffie Elman again on what exactly, how, how does a quantum computer break RSA as a final conclusion for the people who have stayed uh, after watching at 1.5 or 2.5 or 2.5 or 2 speed right now? <laughs> but, <laughs> right, so basically his analogy was a, uh, RSA is basically it's a it's a racetrack, right? It's uh, the the way it works is that uh, you you have a racetrack, and uh, what we can do classically is we can go f- we can go in the racetrack, uh, we can move move ahead in the racetrack fast, quickly. That that's what we we know how to do uh, to do fast. But mm-hmm. in order to break RSA, what you want it, it, on the racetrack is to go to the to the to the step you were right before, right? Uh, right before you were before, right? Go back. But we don't know how to go back uh, efficiently, right? Basically, in a racetrack, if you want to go, if we want to t- to to take a, a million step, it basically takes us thirty times more, thirty more times than doing one step. And if we want to go a billion better step, then it's sixty. It's all it's all explains it, right? Uh, what what happens is that the what the, the thing that is secret right now it's the, the length of the racetrack because if you know the length of the racetrack, then you can you can make a, as much step as you need. To, mm, to to to, to come back before what what the computer what the quantum computer does right basically is that he can find the, the length of a cycle so what what the quantum computer pretty much do is that the the so called superposition parallelism is that he's going to take every every position you can have on the track right and put them in superposition right this way and you know basically at that point it becomes finding finding the length of a cycle which for the technical viewer, we did it to a Fourier transformation, but without going to detail, th- this is what we can do. We can find the length of the racetrack with the quantum computer. That, and it's why we can break our RSA and the field mm. scheme. Right? That, that's the thing, because it becomes a cycle, because you, you go back and back around uh, you know, a novel on a cir- circle, depending on uh, which racetrack you, you, you like the most. Uh, it's a it's it's a really good analogy, and it's uh, you know I find it that it really explains to maybe more uh, layperson what the quantum computer does. Right? It's basically uh, we can find the length uh, the length of the of the racetrack with the quantum computer. What classically right to, to to try to see if I can understand what you're saying. You're basically saying right now there are so many problems where our only solution is to throw more computational power at the problem, right? We're just throwing more at it. And it's because we have no clue how much it's going to take for us to finally get the right answer. And even if we get a right answer, it's like, well, we could probably have the answer be more right. And what quantum computers do is you put in more of the variables and they can actually get you kind of at least some of the parameters you're trying to solve for. And so, you know, once we get quantum... If we use it for specific tasks in conjunction with powerful classical computers, there are just some problems we're going to be able to solve that we couldn't solve before. Exactly, exactly. But there's limits. Uh, when we talk about quantum parallelism, right, uh, still a bit of the technical things, right, that's something I wanted to touch on. But we talked a lot about being uh, in superposition and parallel. So basically, if you have one qubit, you're at the same time zero and the same time one, which, you know, will amplitude of priorities, but with some likelihood of when you measure it. Uh, obtaining zero or one, but uh, one of the limits with that is that uh, for one qubit, the amount of information you can extract is one bit. So basically, you have your qubit right there that's in zero and one. But when you mm-hmm. measure it, you will only get one of the option, right? You will not get the whole the whole information on the state, right? 
that that's a limit of the quantum computers. And when you see fancy talks about quantum computers that usually hyperbolic, they kind of don't understand that uh, even if you have, say, uh, uh, 10 qubits and you would have two to the 10 possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's exponential at that point. Uh, the only information you can extract from it is 10 qubits. So it's a lot of hard work algorithmically to be able to manipulate the amount the amount of data you, you're putting there to extract in 10 qubits the answer you want. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, in, yeah, from 10 bits, because it's really, really hard work this way. So this was uh, you know, the small, uh, bit, I guess, some of the small technical explanation I wanted to, to give people that state. So yeah, I think, I think it's going to be all for me. No, yeah, that was very good to put at the end there, just kind of in many ways making it more clear, I think how it'll be useful and why some people probably dismiss it as they don't understand, frankly, what it's actually useful for, right? Just like machine yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same with, it's, it's the same with machine learning. From my side, I do a lot of quantum simulation, so a bit like the AI guy. I'm starving for memories as we <laughs> talked uh, along. I mean, but, it, but I think his memory problem uh, at worst quadratic. Mine is exponential, so I need more memory than he does. I think it's content with it. Yeah. You mean in a you mean in a graphics card? Probably in everything, right? But in everything, in everything, everything. Would a hundred and twenty-eight gigabyte graphics card be enough? Uh, it'd be. It's, it's a good start. It's a good start. It's a good start because I know Intel's working on one right now. By the way. Oh, oh that's nice. That's nice. But, 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 but you're saying that's just a start. You're like, hmm. Could you make it two fifty six? But it, but uh, basically, it's each time you double the memory, I basically have one more qubit I can simulate. That's basically how it goes, right? So there's no limit, though. Make it a terabyte while you're at it. Yeah, uh, but uh, but it's to the point where you know when you have GPUs that are handicapped in memory, at that point, even the C- if the CPU is slower, right, it can just run things because that access to more memory without you having to uh, like work, uh, make TensorFlow do some memory swapping between the RAM and things like that, right? Uh, becomes a bit more complicated if you want to code things properly at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to be honest. We're, we've clearly uh, moved through multiple things where I was just at the limits of being able to understand it <laughs> without yeah. reading a whole textbook beforehand, yeah. at least. Um, uh, I viewed it a bit, I contacted you a bit, because it was an exercise for me to uh, vulgarize better. Uh, oh, yeah. And half uh, of the half of it is, and Dan says this all the time, is just being able to convey the thoughts is half the struggle because most people don't go to grad school, so you need yeah, to yeah. be able to tell them what you're actually doing. Exactly. My, um, my, my advisor, my master's advisor, was really good at that and it's something you know, I'm attempting to I try to be. Right? But it, it, it's hard, it's hard. It's oh yeah, that, that's the difference between a great and an excellent or between an okay and an excellent uh, professor too, is if the professor... Like, like you could have a professor that's not actually as brilliant, but if he actually knows how to tell you what you're studying, man, I've had some professors that were clearly geniuses and they just couldn't even, <laughs> they couldn't yeah. even tell me what we were doing. And then you have some where it's like, oh, now it's easy. I don't know. You want them to become, I think, uh, what's the point where they don't, don't really do course or only graduate course? I think it's faculty there uh, in the U.S., right? So at that point, they, they, they only specialize in research and you know, don't have to get A lot involved. of them, yeah. And so they, they don't have time or they don't care, right? Sometimes they just don't care. They're only at the university to do research and they're basically only teaching because, well, they have to, to keep their yeah. job. <laughs> and they'll just show up and read a chapter from a textbook in front of everyone, close it and walk away. 
Yeah, usually those you want to see them limited to like graduate tours with six people, right? Or right, so course. at least everyone can ask questions and work on it hands-on. But it's usually six people that are interested, so they speak the same language at that point. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah, so that they don't have to actually teach that much. It's mostly just application anyways. Yeah, exactly. We, we, yeah, we, have a, we had our share back home of a teacher that really, really didn't want to, to, to teach the course. But uh, a few a few of them were honest. They, they tell us at the first course, I don't want to teach your course. I'm forced to do it because there's nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard too, is that nowadays they often just tell you that. They're like, you're on your own, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, I, I do want to thank you for coming on. Um, uh, you know, I don't really have, you know, I'll ju- I guess I'll just say this at the end of the episode too, a reminder that the people submitting reader mails, you know, our patron supporters, the patrons are the ones making this possible. If you support us, you can get these podcasts early and ad free and also submit questions and concerns about all the content being worked on in the reader mail and it will help develop and you can have it asked to guests as well. So just remember that if you have the extra scratch, otherwise, I don't know, um, any last words, any last things you want to say, anything you want to plug before you go? No, I don't uh, don't have much to plug. Uh, I mean, I, I could complain about the, the the challenge I had in my simulation to to work things on AMD, but uh, the, the AI guy did most of the complaining, right? So may, may, maybe if we complain enough, it's it worth make pointing it out. So I guess we'll say you're plugging uh, AM disasters, and <laughs> no, yeah, and that. But but joking aside, that AMD still has a lot of work to do in the professional product stack for this type of work as well. Yeah, basically, the the our CM the the solution they have for um, you know basic machine learning doesn't support complex number yet, and I've verified you know from mm-hmm. the GitHub, and it's a, it's a bit unfortunate. Uh, I wish they they, they were they would. Yeah, yeah, there will be a link in the description for everyone curious. Uh, ROCM, I watched AMD's little video for it, and it looked like a cryptocurrency ad, didn't it? Like it looked really, really cheaply made and like general. <laughs> like. No, no offense to AMD, but like when I watched that, I was like, I feel like I'm on a TomCoin website or whatever my cryptocurrency would be called. I know the development slowed slowed down uh, last year because the, the the guy who was maintaining got hired by Intel. You know, I think oh. he had. Well, everyone's enough, hired by Intel right now. So. Strangely enough, he was uh, complaining publicly about Vega 10 in the GitHub about uh, he wanted to add it to his. Uh, I think his. It's going to be in a in a chapter in the black book of GPUs uh, if he make words a memoir on uh, trying to make cold work for it. <laughs> hmm. It's a bit funny, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's I find it unfortunate because AMD GPUs have more memory, so yeah. I'm on the side of the more memory. I wish I wish it would work, but yeah, it's. Uh, well, I mean, I hear this is what they're going to try to fix, both with adding more memory and having better professional and more specific driver support with RDNA 2. So that's all I can add is that all I've heard are great things about RDNA 2 for everyone. Although, and I think it's probably true. It's just at a certain point, I almost get tired of saying RDNA 2 is going to be great, guys. I still don't know that much about it. <laughs> well, right? uh, well, I hope so. Yeah, but uh, I hope so. I hear it. I, I mean, I really do hear that it works well at these types of things you're talking about. It's just, 
Well, we'll see. What do they have? Probably, uh, but, uh, I'm probably gonna get the GPU from both Nvidia and AMD, and uh, use the one that does the training the best as training, and use the one that does it the most for gaming at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because because yeah, when, uh, I like to keep my computer working. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Um, that's about it then. I'll say thank you for coming on. Thank you to everyone for listening. You know, subscribe, share, like, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I'm sure we will talk again. Uh, have a good evening. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon, Jim Bollocks, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasted, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrus, or the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Richter Cohagan, Elethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominic Cock, Dominic Dewark, Original Ross, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Kanar, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, AJ Klein, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justin Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Elenia, Joshua Stavnis, N- Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Neil X01, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, and Carrie Baldino. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Mm-hmm.